This, 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 we are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples, UFC and Boxing Talk. Welcome to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. It's Tuesday night and this is your weekly fix of Merseyside's fight scene news. And what a weekend we've had as well. Obviously, I'm going to do a full recap of the action from the last seven days a little bit later in the show. That includes a newly crowned ABA champion as well as six, yes, six straight knockouts for Liverpool fighters over the weekend. Only one disappointment for Liverpool, actually, and obviously that was uh, that was Birkenhead's own Sean Masher Dodd. We're going to come on to that a little bit later in the show, but first and foremost, I want to introduce my guest. She's brought a belt in, the newly crowned WBA International Super Featherweight Champion, Natasha Jonas. Good nice. evening. Good evening. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Lovely big smile on your face, Tash, as always. But it looks a little bit bigger and brighter than usual because you've brought your belt in with you. And how does it feel? It feels uh, it, well. I, I keep forgetting that I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you were late for the studio because you rang me and said, "Should I go back and get my belt?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, you've got it now. Don't take it off." <laughs> I know. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, it's it's unbelievable. It's it's good to look at. It's good to show off. And yeah. Nice to have. So with, what, 10 months into your professional career? Is that right? 10 months now? June last year, yeah, wasn't yeah. it, your turn yeah, pro? True. And we've already got silverware, we've already got belts wrapped around our waist. Was this always the plan, Tash, to, to win a title? We were kind of going off what kind, what, what everyone else has done, really. Um, everyone at, else as in, as in other female boxers? Yeah, and yeah. seeing how quickly they, they progressed. And obviously I, I, I needed to get back into it. Because I'd had so long off, um, but yeah, we were trying it. We were just we knew that within a year we could get it as long as my progression was right, and, and obviously it was. So yeah, six fights in the first ten months. Is there a chance to get a seventh fight in before the for the twelve months is up? Do you think you'll be out again before June? I'm open, so yeah, I think um, there's there's I think the sixteenth of in Newcastle in June has just yeah. been announced, and I, hopefully um, there's talks of there being one more, but nothing's set in concrete. As 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 ever in boxing, so yeah. um, hopefully you know that one or the one after. So it'd be nice to go back to Newcastle where you made your pro debut, of course, oh, last I, summer. Yeah, That'd be a yeah. perfect little circle. And would it be a title defense though, Tash, or would it be like a six eight rounder? It'd probably just be a, a tick over. Um, um, I'm, I'm not too sure. You know, whatever's available, I'll take. You know, um, I'm still in quite good shape, even though I've had. I'm a bit more hydrated and, and, and belly's a bit more fuller than it was on Friday. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do anything. The f- I think the fight uh, of, on Saturday, the fight over the weekend, I think most people come away from the Echo Arena going, I really enjoyed that. I, I find that for the first two or three fights of your career, you know, maybe even the first four fights, you could see there's levels. Do you know what I mean? Your level's above the opposition. And this is what the sport's all about. You've got to... You know, get used to the pro game, get used to working with Joe Gallagher, get used to the new setup and everything else. So, but in obviously in women's boxing, it moves a lot quicker. But what we found in your last fight, and certainly the fight on Saturday night, is boom, you, you, there's no big, huge like space and levels in the women's game. There's kind of like the girls in the early days, and it's like wham, you're straight in now, straight in against good girls who are former, you know, boxed amateur like yourself, been to international tournaments. Yeah, I think there's there isn't that depth that there is in the men's, like you say. So, that there isn't really that much of progression. It's it's it goes from one extreme to the other. It goes from bowling them over and one or two rounds to having to you know work hard and stick it out. So, um, obviously that'll change and hopefully the progression will get it'll get better for the women coming through. But for us here now, um, that that's what we've got to deal with. So when you make that leap, like Joe keeps saying to me, once you're through the door, there's no coming back because there isn't because the 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 that's the level that you're going to be at and. Obviously, people are going to come through and want to go to your level. So once you've kind of passed through the doors, you, you can't turn back. That you just you're you're world level then. So everyone's going to be after you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're certainly world level now. You've got the WBA interim belt um, in studio with us. Obviously, that brings with it a world rank. And the opponent on on Saturday night, um, El Hadji from France. Um, wasn't the original opponent. What happened to the original opponent? There was like three original opponents oh, before. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think... Um, I, I'm not too sure what happened. Uh, it was supposed to be, I think, Obanoff. Uh, That's right, Was Obanoff, one of the yeah. names that was through in the hat originally. But um, there was... I, there was I don't know what... There was issues with... with, the, with the, I don't know, medical and weight and time. But she was the original one that was 
should have known for as long as I'd known. Yeah. But then there was there was issues, and I don't I don't really know what they was. But um, then it got changed to somebody else. Um, and yeah, that 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 I think she fought the Saturday the the week before, and for whatever reason she decided that she didn't want to fight, and then there was someone else, and you know, mm-hmm. LLG took it in the end. Six fights into your career, I feel like you haven't had the same opponent at the start of camp than the girl you've actually faced in the ring once yet. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's a good job I've had such a good amateur peg- pedigree by and background because obviously when when we're amateur and we go to tournaments, you, you you find out on the day you're boxing and mm-hmm. like the tournament set out for you then. But you, I think being having that that I'm I'm quite confident that. It, Whatever happens, I'm always ready. That I'm like I'm gonna go in there and impose my strengths. And and obviously, you always have tactics, and you're trying to find out who your opponent is to work on them. But it's not really an it's not really a necessity. I've been before and and not even known who I'm boxing. So yeah, the El Hadji at the weekend. It was a great fight for seven rounds. Again, I think a lot of people come away going, "I really enjoyed that. That was a really good fight." Was it? You know, you have to you have to figure out. She was a different type of puzzle than you faced before. You're obviously preparing to fight one girl, then it gets changed to somebody else. Then on night you end up fighting a girl who's about seven foot. <laughs> you know, she was so long. Yeah. Is that always gonna happen, do you think? Where you're like where you as you say, from your amateur days, you just learn to adjust. You know, the girl could have been five and a half foot or she could have been nearly six foot, which is what LG pretty much was at the weekend. I think Avicii was like seven foot yeah, two. Was, exactly. <laughs> the fight started and it was like bing <laughs> and you hadn't even come out your corner yet. It was like, yeah, so I don't I don't know. Um, hopefully not. Um, I think as as we get to the the you know the WBCs and whatever, then we'll know exactly who our opponent is, and, yeah. and we'll have obviously a, a 10, 12 week training camp for that specific opponent without any pullouts. Or, yeah. but you know, as we're, as we're working our way up, to be honest, I, I just don't I don't really care. It felt like there was a, a point in the fight, or maybe it was from the very first bell, where you could see in your eyes that you were thinking, you know what. I can I can ship a long jab like this because I know it'll I can get inside and I can let three or four punches go. And you seem to rock her, I think it was about the second or third round. You rocked her pretty hard and she stumbled backwards and it it looked like something clicked in your mind then and you thought, right, okay, I've got you, I can hit you now. So yeah. I can step this up on you. I think sometimes one of my downfalls is that I, I do know I'm a power puncher. So I kind of take one to receive I'll 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 receive one to to give one and then um I kind of know that if it lands, it's gonna hurt. So it, I, I, I like put pressure, not pressure on myself. I was, I think there was one, I think it was around four or five, or might have been five or six that I got really frustrated with myself, and I was like, okay, you're letting her back in for just no reason, and I, I, I was a bit frustrated, um, and I think Joe knew that because he was saying to me in the corner, I think you can hear one, you're you all right, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm all right, I'm all right. You're just annoyed with yourself. I was just annoyed with myself. Because why? Because you were taking silly shots, or you were loading up the left hand. I, I could or I, both. Both. I could see the shots coming, and they were still landing. And um, yeah, I was just, I, I was just, but I knew that you couldn't hit me, which again was a downfall. Because I was thinking, oh, okay, well she is three. I'm gonna hit it harder. Mm. And it was just, it was just silly. I think it was, I think it was five or six. And I, yeah, that, and I was just frustrated with myself. And then obviously I came out in seven. And, and it was better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, when you come out in the seventh round, w- was it like a, a change of mindset where you were like, you know what, I'm frustrated myself for the last two rounds. I've been doing silly things. I'm taking, you know, I'm just loading up here and become predictable, whatever. What changed in the seventh? Was it something Joe said? Did you start moving your head more? Did you, did you relax more? Did you stop looking for it? Yeah, I think I just stopped looking for it. That was the, the be all and end all was that I, I wasn't putting pressure on myself to land it. I thought if it comes, if the opportunity's there, it'll it'll be there. Don't just so don't like tense and don't load up. And that, I think it was just yeah, my mindset was a little bit different. Obviously, Joe was giving me instructions, and he, well, I can't remember what he said. But within the first couple of seconds, I'd done what he said, and I was like, okay, so now you're listening. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, what's that relationship been like with Joe so far? Ten months in, well, it's probably more like twelve months in, isn't it? At least. Yeah, yeah. We, with him for a couple of months it before. It was like the you... worst kept secret in boxing for it a was, good yeah. month or two. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I mean, don't get me wrong. In the gym, you've, you've seen we have we have our laughs, but we know when we have to train hard. And um, he, he puts me through my paces. I do exactly the same things as the boys do. 
as much as I cry and moan about it, he still makes me do it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I respect. I think when you, when you, when you're in that situation and you you have to respect and you have to, um, I suppose, be confident in your trainer's knowledge and stuff. And I 100% do with Joe. So everything that he, he, he tells me and everything that we work on, I do listen to and I, I do try and um, incorporate into my boxing. Yeah. I, I guess when 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 your coach is a former Ring Magazine Coach of the Year, <laughs> yeah, that helps. you can't really complain, can you? Go, <laughs> okay, if he said that's what to do, that's what we do. Uh, and obviously you get back to get back to stoppage ways on Saturday night as well. That was your, you know, your, after one points decision uh, against Kapinska. In February, you bounce back with it with another TKO. Yeah, did the Kapinska points did that affect you in any way? Did you think, oh, you've spoiled me bloody record there? No, I, I think sometimes. Or was it like a weight off your back a little bit? Yeah, like, a okay, little that's bit. It. Yeah, I think um, I remember when we was amateurs. Um, Savannah Marshall, it was. She was undefeated, and for like a good few years, she carried this undefeated thing. And as the bout went on and went on and we you know, we were going to the Europeans, we were going to the world, it became a big pressure for her. And when it went, she 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 relaxed a lot more and, and like it was like, Okay, it's gone now. Like, get over it. Yeah. And and she did. And I think I think in some ways boxing's a little bit like that. I think when you're carrying this I'm not saying me zero was in me, me losses one, but but when you're carrying something and you're like Everyone thinks that oh she's gonna knock her out every single time. It becomes like it becomes a bit of a burden, and it like it, it happens with Josh now, yeah. Auntie Joshua, and people like expect them to just get in the ring with whoever it is at whatever level they are and just knock them knock them out, and it, it's not gonna happen every time. Of course, um, obviously it did happen on Saturday night for you. you. You've got the belt to prove it, and El Hadji stopped on her feet, but when you caught her with that left hand, the first shot when. She was stood bolt upright and she, she was facing right towards the media team and her eyes were rolling back in her head. So when you when you went in to finish the fight and the referee jumped in, I think at that point she woke up and she was remonstrating in their corner. Were kind of, But she was out. She yeah. was out on her feet, believe it. I was looking right at her. The, the fair shot, obviously, was the, was, the, was the one that did the damage, but there was a good body shot after that, which kind of like took the wind out of it. And I yeah. think that's why... Half of it was when she was trying to recover to get back up. She was still trying to breathe from the body shot because there was. I don't think I don't think the TV shown it as well as it was. Yeah. Um. As effective as it was. You yeah, mean, as yeah, effective. Yeah. So the, the the obviously the the first hook, um. Was the damage shot that was the like that that was the she was out she was out she was standing straight up but her arms had fallen down by her side she was out she was out yeah. and and but there was a second body shot after that wow. that actually I think that creased away she she couldn't stay up then yeah yeah and then she she obviously went in to hold me and I've just stuck my head down like to not let her hold me and she's obviously fell on the floor of course when that when that shot when that first hook lands can you feel it do you know. I think I was, I, I'd tried it twice before that and it had landed, but it hadn't had landed as effectively and it just so happened that that time and I think I like stumbled a little bit to try and throw the body shot next because I didn't realise, it took me a, a little quick split second to realise that it had hurt her so much yeah. because I'd landed it twice before, before that shot. So um, yeah, it took me a little split second, but then when it, when I've I've pounced on it, then I realised she was hurt. And as she stood up, again, I don't think the telly showed, but a foot wobbled. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I was like, oh, I've got her, I've got her, yeah. If, I think if the referee would have let it go on, the same thing would have happened. It just would have been meant more punches for me. But, um, yeah, I think um, I'd, I'd seen, and Joe was saying, look at me, look at me. You can hear Joe screaming, look at me, look at me. And I'm looking at Joe and he's saying, and he's giving me instructions to do what, what to do next. So, it, yeah, it was it was just a, it was a great moment and a great feeling. Is that the com- is that something you work on in the gym? That hook and then the you know the follow up body shot. Is that something you look for specifically, or in the moments when you felt that she was dangerous? You know, when you you said you you tried it earlier on, because that's one of your one of your trademark shots. Is that what you always look for? The hook and then the body shot to to, to push it down. I wouldn't say it was a trademark, but but it's definitely something we've been working on. Because the first thing you do if you've got a 
if you've received a good headshot, is put your hands up. Yeah. And then that means the whole body's open. So um, there's, there's the stuff that we've been doing in the gym to like replicate that. I mean, is Gail that tall as well? Is that something you'll look for as well? Obviously, you think, wow, okay, I've got to get through, got to get past her reach. That's first and foremost. You know, she's going to be good. You know, if she's got good footwork, she's going to be able to move around the ring well. But also, she's got all that torso to aim for as well. There's an awful lot of body I can get at there. The, the, the body was definitely um, something that we, an area that we'd pointed out as like a target area. Obviously, because she was so tall, um, and I, the, from the guard that we've seen. We knew that she had a a, a lead hand, um, but she 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 did she did tuck up on on the occasions that we could see she did tuck up as in like hands were high. Yeah. So we we had targeted like we we pinpointed that the body was a good place to to aim for. Yeah, get under them elbows, absolutely. Um, seventh round TKO, a new WBA. International belt wrapped around your waist. Obviously, is that what you'll pursue now, the WBA world title, do you think? Or is it a case of whatever comes up? Whatever comes up. Uh, we, were, we were trying to get... Um, I think that we, we we inquired, I think, about the WBC. Um, and she had a mandatory um, a couple of weeks before. And then she, she, did, she said she weren't going to be ready and stuff. So we are inquiring about all belts. It's whoever is willing to come out of their, their country and whoever's willing to come to England and do it. That's what we like. <laughs> come on, come to Liverpool, I dare you. We'll take any world champion. Uh, you're listening to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. I'm, of course, joined by Natasha Jonas, the newly crowned WBA interim champion. Stick with us in part two. We're going to be talking more about the rest of this super featherweight division. I'm going to ask Tash, who's the best girls in the division, who we should be looking out for, who's going to come to, uh, hopefully, to the UK later in the year. We'll also look back on everybody else's results from this region over the weekend. Stay with us. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Welcome back to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. I'm still joined in the studio. I'm delighted to say... I miss Natasha Jonas, our newly crowned WBA interim super featherweight champion of the world. Obviously, it was a, a sensational seventh round knockout performance at the Echo Arena on Saturday. I was chatting to loads of fight fans as we were milling out of there. And of course, Amir Khan is the name on everybody's lips with that you know, 40 second knockout against Phil LeGreco. Let's be honest, he was, he was pretty disappointing. But it was a great night in general, for Liverpool boxing. Obviously, Tasha, as I say, seventh round TKO. Anthony Fowler, second round TKO. He moves now to 6-0. and Tom Farrell bounced back from his loss to O'Hara Davis with a third round TKO. I'm telling you, it was all knockouts at the weekend. And then Craig Glover, he was first on, so there was literally nobody in there. And you know what? I'm not going to lie. I wasn't even in there myself. I had to watch it back on somebody's phone. 20 seconds for Craig Glover, the cruiserweight managed by Tony Bell. You'd say inside of Denny Matthews' gym. 20 seconds. He won 20 seconds into the first round with another knockout. And then over in Belfast, I've got to mention it, Alex Dickinson, the big heavyweight from yeah, who won his ABA title for KBABC. First round knockout, 68 seconds. And Super Sam Maxwell, my mate, Super Sam 56 seconds knockout. Tash, you lost. I know, I was thinking that. You lost. I you come sixth. On, I know. It's yeah. <laughs> better on how long it was taken. It took me a while. <laughs> These are for me fans. Exactly. Out of the six scousers who fought at the weekend, you come last. You know, it's it's not, not good on. enough, Tash. Not you're on. Have to, you're, that's what I mean. You have to have a word with Joe. Don't get paid for overtime here. I'm saying that, you did get a belt, I suppose. None of these got a belt. But, it's you know, obviously it's... Uh, it's been a great weekend there, Tash. Some incredible performances. Um, did you get to see any of the lads at the Echo Arena? Or were you busy backstage? Obviously, you're always like busy, but I do. We 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 have the um, the iPad on in, yeah. in in the changing rooms, obviously, so we know the bout order and stuff. I seen Fowler's, um, I seen Farrell's. I didn't see Glover's. Um, I heard about Maxwell's, and yeah, I didn't. I didn't see much after my bout because I was running around. Showing everyone it and, and trying to say thank you. Go Celebrating on. with the belt, of course. Uh, at the weekend as well, we also crowned a new ABA champion from Merseyside, Bradley Strand from Everton Red Triangle. Congratulations, Bradley. What a year that Jim is having, by the way, Everton Red Triangle, with Peter McGrail going out to the Commonwealth Games, adding to his European medal and everything else. Sensational time. I think they, as well as having Bradley Strand then in the ABA finals on Saturday, they would have cornered... Um, Alex Dickinson as well, he's from ERT as well, so oh, yeah. an amazing weekend for Everton Triangle, and I want to mention of course uh, Gemini ABC's Jake Harrison, who unfortunately lost his senior ABA final at the weekend, but of course 
runner-up in an ABA Championships, phenomenal performance from Jake Harrison there over the course of the season. For these young lads starting out, Tash, uh, for Bradley Strand, of course, winning this ABA title, that now that marks them out, doesn't it? That's a name we've got to look out for in the future now. Definitely, and you're a name that everybody else is going to be looking out for, and you're the now you carry the, the burden of the ABA champ, so people are going to want to fight you, they're going to want to beat you, and they're going to want to prove a point, but you also become, um, you know, you be, you're you looking on the eyes of the England squad, the GB squad, you know, you're the national champion, so they have to take a look at you, so it, it all starts at, from the ABAs, and people don't realise how important they, a win they can be. Absolutely. You win that ABA title, and, you know, when, you, when you're two years out from a, Olympic Games in Tokyo in 2020. Surely now Bradley Strand and the team around him have got to be thinking that. And the great thing about it is he goes back to Everton Red Triangle, where Peter McGrail is. <laughs> he's probably going to, you know, the way he's looking, he's probably going to captain the the GB team going out to the Olympics, you'd like to think, or he'd certainly be considered. Bradley Strand, it's like the perfect training partner. Definitely. It's, um, I think Peter's, I think to be fair to Everton Red for the last I'd say three, four years, they've consistently produced talent yeah. from the school boys and school girls upwards. So they're doing something right in the club, um, and they're working from the from the from the kids upwards, and it's a reflection. And you know, we always say success breeds success, and it really, really does. Yeah. So you know, you're going back to your gym, you're seeing Peter come back with his Commonwealth medal, his European medal, his world medal. And you, you, you know, and that you're doing the same work, you're with the same trainers. It's only right that you can emulate the, kind of the things he does. Of course, they were the first. Forgive me if I'm wrong here, but I don't. Th- I think I'm right. Everton Red Triangle were the first gym in the city to go pro am. Were the first gym to have both pros and amateurs as well. I know the Solly have just started doing that as well. Um, a couple of other gyms from the city are doing it now. How important do you think that may have been on Everton Red Triangle's success? The fact that you've got these young hungry, exciting amateur prospects on one side, training alongside, you know, uh, you know, people like Ryan Farag, I know he's moved on now, and uh, Kevin Satchel, who was European champion at the time, Jazza Dickens was there, Johnny Quigley was there. You know, they've had this real hot pool of pros training alongside these amateur kids. Again, success breeds success, Tash. They've, they've, they've all dragged each other up. Definitely, and I think as well, with the, the way that the amateur game's going, it is the scoring's a little bit more pro than when I was an amateur, where it was points. So, you know, you have when you get to them elite open finals where you've got to take your head guard off. You you are boxing as a you're boxing amateur as a pro. So you know there's 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 little things that the pros can learn yet and little tactics because I know I've learned a lot just in these ten months coming coming through about what the difference actually is and how I can ben I can how I can benefit or like impose certain things that I couldn't do as an amateur because you've got your head guard on. Yeah. Did you have you found the move over to pros more difficult than you when you first imagined? When you first went to Joe's, maybe the first session you did or whatever it was, you thought, you know, I'm I'm definitely going to give this a go. Did you think the transition would be much easier? Um I knew it was going to be hard just because of the condition that my body was in anyway. Yeah. Of course. Um, but um weirdly, I actually prefer now boxing with the head guard off even though I get a lot more black eyes <laughs> um, she but, says looking at me with a black eye <laughs> I know yeah so it, it, you can just see a lot more yeah um, so you, like obviously I think it for me for the, as an amateur I would have preferred my head guard to be on um, but as a professional with it off I do prefer it off yeah um, there's a lot more that you can see There's you kind of got blinkers on when you're an amateur I'm doing this not that anyone can see but it's like there's parts of th- that you can't see. Yeah. As as well, no matter what head guard you're wearing, there's always going to be something that you can't see coming. Um, but obviously, once you got the head guard off, it, you, you can see a lot more, but obviously you, you're a, a bit more susceptible to cuts and stuff. Interesting that, because last week, uh, ahead of Amir Khan's fight, you know, the, obviously um, the Cole Khan roadshow rolled into Liverpool for, for the fight week and everything else, and... Um, a couple of media members we had five minutes with five or ten minutes with Joe Goosen, who's Amir's new coach, and that was one of the things he was talking about. He 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 banned Amir from using a full face head guard in the gym, and only let him use like the old amateur traditional style head guard, which is kind of more like a more like a shower cap than anything else, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Um, and the reason was he was saying that 
I'm here using a full face head guard, which is something he'd gotten used to over the years um, to avoid cuts. Actually made him more sloppy in his defence because he would quite happily take jabs and take shots because he knew he was going. He was pretty much protected. Yeah. So quite an interesting way to look at it. What's what? What's the deal up at Joe's? Does it? Does he have? A, does he have a way he looks at head guards or does he have sparred him with head guards and without head guards? You guys mix it up. I've never sparred without a head guard yet. Um, but we always we always just it's what what you want what you want to wear. Some people prefer. I think Beefy prefers a bar, but I prefer to have just the the. The, the nose got like the cheek guard yeah um but yeah it's a, it's a more more on preference but we always always spar with a head guard and i think i can under, i i get is um, why he said that to ramia um but for for me i think just for protection wise and i don't think you need that kind of i suppose punishment just in training yeah I suppose you can just leave that to the fight um, that's just my opinion but yeah I, I never got to the bottom whether joe does that universally or whether it was just because of where Amir is in his career right now. Because he's, let's face it, he's probably sparred thousands and thousands of rounds now. And no doubt when you've been a pro for so long, you will pick up bad habits and wearing a full face head guard might be the reason why he's, he, you know, he's picked up bad habits because he knows he's got that he's protection. He's got it, yeah. So I understand the, 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 the logic behind it. Yeah. So um, I suppose you've just got to know your fighter and know, you know, You've got to be. I suppose that's why I'm not a trainer. <laughs> Amir Khan's performance at the weekend. What did you make of it? Were you were yeah. you blown away by Khan, or were you massively disappointed in Le Greco, or somewhere in between? Somewhere in between. Um, I'd watched Khan spar on the Saturday before, and he did look. He looked very sharp. I was. I came in towards the end, and he was still sharp. He was still fast, and um, so I knew when you you want someone to come back, and you don't want to see them. I've dropped down if you know what I mean you want to see them back exactly where they'd left off and I, I think um, I was just hoping that that was going to be the case and you, I don't know if you can judge it from that fight but he still performed brilliant you can see his sharpness you see his speed was back and see everything was there but at the same time the Greco kind of talked a good one and never really Never really, never really shown or, or anything. So yeah, I, I was kind of def- defending Lagreco in the aftermath of the fight, just because on paper, you know, he's only lost to to good guys. Two of his three losses were Pacquiao and and Lamont Peterson, I think, was the other one, or or Timothy Bradley. Someone, it was it was someone else top level, um, and I found myself defending Lagreco and as as an opponent. But I, I was disappointed because he come out when he was pouring that jab, and he and he seemed to be like a cat caught in the headlights. And I'm like, it's Amir Khan. Yeah. He's got fast hands. He's going to hit you with four or five punches before you've seen them. You must have known this was going to happen. You know, he's got Fernando Vargas in his corner, who's like an absolute legend in my eyes. Um, they must have watched. They, they knew what Khan was going to bring. It's not like they didn't know he wasn't going to throw 100 punches a minute. So to get caught the way he did, that's what disappointed me. I was like, you know, th- there, is a, there is a blueprint to beat Amir Khan. He has lost fights, so you can watch how he's lost fights before. But for me, if you're fighting someone with fast hands, you know who's going to unload a lot of shots. Early on, you've got to make sure your footwork's right, you cover up well, and you, you know you, you you time shots. You're looking to counter well, but Lagreco just seemed to plod forward, yeah, yeah, and let on let Amir unload on him. I think that was the most disappointing thing from my point of view. It was, yeah, and I think exactly what you've said. It was just like he seemed to be overwhelmed by the occasion. But to be fair, in his defence, when when I went out and I got my cheer. I was like, I didn't, I didn't, ex- even though I knew it was a sellout and I knew what it was, the reception that I've got was phenomenal. And I, I, I could probably see why if you, me, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Maybe he thought Amir wouldn't go back to being as sharp as he was, like I just said before. Two I, years out, it might take him a round or two him, yeah. to, to feel his way in. So maybe, maybe that was the case, but he just, yeah, he just got caught. He got caught cold and he, I, I I agree with you. That surely you should have knew. Yeah, if that's that that's what freaked me out the most. I was like, "Come on, mate! It's not like you didn't know." And he had a ten week, twelve week camp or whatever it was. They announced the Greco changed like mine. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> but they announced the Greco months ago, so it was like he knew he was fighting Amir Khan for the last ten weeks. At no point did they watch a tape and go because I think all fighters will agree. You know, I was talking to Tony Bellew about this yesterday. Tony Bellew right now was preparing for the best that David A we've ever seen. He's like, I can't prepare for David Day, who I know he is right now. I know David Day's this fighter. He's in this place now. 
But I've got to prepare for David Day here, where he was, the best of his career. Otherwise, if he turns up best in his career, you're going to get found out. I think Le Greco turned up kind of going, well, I'm fighting the guy who used to be Amir Khan, but hasn't fought in two years. Crazy, crazy way to come into a fight. Madness, absolute madness. You talk about the atmosphere then, what was it like? What was it like backstage in a sellout and coming out into the crowd and obviously everybody in there, 10,000, 12,000, whatever it was, just going ballistic for you. It must have felt amazing. It was. It it was backstage. I think you're sheltered from it a little bit, and obviously, obviously we've got the we've got the little iPad on, and we're watching about to go by, and we know when we're on. And it, but you are sheltered from it. Um, I don't have my family coming into the room. Um, before why do you get too excited? I just think it, that's like I'm in work, so that's my that's my time to focus yeah, and stuff. Yeah, of so. Course. Um, I it's not like you go into your mate's work where she's like working in the solicitor's office or something. Yeah, exactly. She's like, come on, come on, send that fax. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just so I just that's my time to concentrate and, and that's my time to get into fight mode because you know generally I am a chirpy happy happy person and quite laid back and it takes Joe a couple of come on Tash, this is the fight. <laughs> <laughs> what are you now, Tash? You know, come on, are you ready? It takes him a couple of them. Joe texted me and said, Tash coming in? I said, yeah, yeah, Tash coming in. Yeah, he said, uh, ask her about the belt going on tour. What's that all about? <laughs> so he phoned me yesterday and he said, oh, what are you up to? I said, oh, I'm just taking the belt on tour. I've got my own little red bus here. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the key to the city, the lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Brilliant. And to, back in, in the dressing room then, in that environment, what do you listen to? I think because you're so laid back, people might, you know, do you listen to music? Do you have music on? Do, as you're preparing mentally or whatever, do you have the tunes on or? Yeah, we go through about 20 playlists with Joe. I just let him choose whatever he wants. Oh, right, it okay. It so... doesn't really bother me. But sometimes if it's a bit slow, I'll say, oh, come on, Joe, pick it up a little bit and he'll change it to another one. But he, to, to be fair to him, he's got good music. He's a good he's little got, DJ, got, is he? He's yeah? got good taste, yeah. He's got, a, he's got his own little, like, playlist with one I'll have, like, Disco, one I'll have like smooth FM kind of tunes, one I'll have, you know, house music, one I'll have funky house, one I'll have R and B, one I'll have rap. It's he has got a good diverse of um a good diverse um thingy of, of, of music. There so. you go. Wow, that's what we're gonna do. We'll talk about that later in the show, I'm sure. But if if any fight disciples out there wanna get their hands on a Joe Gallagher mixtape, <laughs> I'm sure we can have a word with Joe. We can start getting them out there. Maybe we can get him to post it on Spotify. Who doesn't want a Joe Gallagher mixtape? There's the biggest question I'll leave you with. Come back in part three, please. We're gonna talk about the Super Featherweight division. We're gonna talk about who is the challengers facing Natasha Jonas moving forward to be live out this dream to become world champion. And of course, we're gonna finish this show in the only place we can. We are what? Eight days? Nine days, ten days, or whatever it is, away from the rematch. Tony Bellew versus David Hay. I'm going to get Tasha's take on the big fight, the biggest fight of the year so far domestically. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Welcome back to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. If you just joined us, I am in studio with the one and only, the new WBA interim champion of the world, Natasha Jonas. And you know what? During the break, then, we've just been going through all the top super featherweights on the planet. Um, according to BoxRec, which if you don't know, BoxRec.com is kind of like the, the database for all professional fighters in the world. So um, we're on there now. We're looking at WBC champion, WBO champion, uh, the WBA champion, of course, who, who Tasha's now uh, jumped up to be a top contender for. And they've all got one thing in common, Tash. Not one of them fights outside their own country. <laughs> What's going on here? That's why it's so difficult to get them on shows. Um, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's... Um... They either, they either price themselves out or they just don't want to move out of their own country. So It's insane. I'm just looking through it now. So Eva Wallstrom is the is the uh she's the WBC champion. Um never fought outside of Finland. Um Malva Hamadouche, is that right? Yep, Hamadouche. Hamadouche. She's the French champion, uh, and she's also got the IBF world title. Never fought outside of France or Belgium. You've got Hyun Mi Choi, is that right? I think so. From Korea, sounds good. Listen, I'm famous on this show for butchering people's names anyway, <laughs> so I'm sure if there's any Koreans listening, I apologise if, if I've said that wrong. But originally North Korean, based in South Korea, Hun Min Choi. Um, she is the WBA champion of which you are now one of the leading contenders for. Never fought outside of outside of Korea. It, it's kind of weird because it, it's like it's like the women's sport, certainly in your weight class. 
is on lockdown. If you if you're not prepared to go to Finland, not prepared to go to Korea, not prepared to go to to uh, to uh, France or Belgium, um, it looks like you'll never get a world title shot. Exactly, and I think when you look at the, I don't know if you can see it, but I've got um, the days that they've held the titles, ones at one thousand six hundred and sixty six, one thousand um, nine hundred ninety four, five five hundred and twenty, and one sixty days. So. You, these are long serving like champions three it's years like, as a champion and once you've got the belt you just say right I'm not coming out of here you just keep it forever <laughs> yeah you can if you fight me at all you don't fight me at all and if, you've got, if you're the champion I suppose it looks like in women's boxing you can just do that yeah exactly and you know we kind of you only really see this in men's boxing in Germany we've seen it for a while with the Klitschko's obviously in Germany um, but the difference there was they had a massive German TV deal and they were filling stadiums likewise Japanese fighters in the men's game Japanese guy gets hold of the belt it's rare to get them out of Japan because again massive Japanese TV deals massive stadium fights I can't see maybe I'm wrong Tash is Eva Wallström selling out stadiums in Finland has she got a massive finish is boxing women's boxing big in Finland I know women's boxing in most Nordic countries has been a while uh, around a while, so they are quite established um, with within that. But from from the fights that I've seen, yeah, um, obviously you're looking at the fight and not the crowd, but it doesn't seem to be like that. So I'm not too sure. Strange. I'm just having a look down here now. She fought, she's fought in. Uh, I'm going with Wallstrom, of course, because she's at the top of the list, but. She looks like she fights mostly, obviously, in Helsinki, the Hartwall Arena. Um, yeah, it's, it's the Epsom Metro Arena. So she, she goes up and down the country, don't get me wrong, but, you know, this girl has got... She's the current champion. She's the current number one, the WBC World Female Super Featherweight Champion. She's 22-0, and she's had one draw, but she's 22-0, with only three knockouts, and yet... Every single one of her fights has been in Finland. It's kind of insane. So, with with girls like this, obviously, first question is: Are you do you accept the fact you're going to have to travel, or is this an Eddie here in jobs? Like, right, come on, then Eddie. You know, you've got to get these you got to get these girls out of their comfort zone because you know the Echo Arena or whatever it may be in the UK. British boxing, world boxing, sorry, is happening here in Britain right now. It we is, are yeah. the center of the boxing universe, so. I doubt you're going to get a girl out of out of Korea, but you know you've just fought the French number two. Surely the French number one must be aware that you're biting out of heels now as well. Yeah, I've actually fought um, Maeve before as an amateur, um, and won. That doesn't mean anything when it comes to the professional ranks because the gloves are smaller. You know, your head. This is the IBF champ, isn't it? It's the IBF, yeah. Um, But yeah, you know, you've got to lure them with something. Yeah. And I haven't got the laws. I haven't got control of the laws. So that's kind of an eddy thing. But if the worst comes to the worst and, and they're not willing to move out, then I'm, of course I've got to go into the lines then, which I'm I'm not scared to do so. Yeah. Here's another one, Ramona Cunha. Uh Again, I've just absolutely butchered her name. But, um, <laughs> that's you know, how I say it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which think. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> 27 fights in. She's the WBO world champion, fought once in Russia in 27. Every other fight's been in, in a native Germany. None of these champions fight outside of their own backyard. In terms of your career then, obviously you'd be happy to travel. Eddie's got a show on in New York this weekend. I'm sure you would have bit his hand off or moving forward you'll bite his hand off to fight in the States, won't you? Yeah, definitely. I've, I've, I've already put that in. Um, I've already put that in. The, the, the request in. You know, anytime I can fight abroad and, and, and go away, I will do. Um, I'm uh, it, it, suits, it suits me either way. What's uh, what's women's boxing like in the US? Obviously, we, we were talking off air there about the biggest star in the sport. I think we both agree it's, it's more than likely Clarissa Shields, the former uh, uh, Team USA gold medalist from the Olympics, who's now, you know, she's got this whole thing going on, a big a big TV deal and a big following in America. Is she the biggest star, Tash? Um, I think she's one of them. Yeah, definitely one of them. I think there's, uh, in, a, in her own weight division... What weight is she? I think she's actually middleweight. Yeah, she wasn't middle? she? A, wasn't she a lightweight originally at the Olympics? Was she a lightweight or was she? A... No, she's always been a middleweight. Oh, has she? Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. She was Savannah, yeah. Yeah, she yeah, because she looks. I don't want to say this without offending a woman, but she looks a bit fleshy. Yeah, like she's carrying her. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, um, I think in the definitely in the first Olympics, she, she um, was a bit, was a was a little bit like. Um, Carrying, carrying a little bit, but she was so young, so I think it was a little bit like, 
don't like to say, but puppy fat. Of course. Um, and now she's obviously getting older. She's growing into a woman. I think she has it has toned up, and she now she's actually at that weight. She's solid. Um, but yeah, it's um, you know conditioning that's that down to down to other things as well. Because she's got a is she a top rank. She's got a big deal, hasn't she? I think she's quite a quite high profile. Obviously, for anyone that's seen, doc, have you seen the documentary on Netflix about it about that journey to the Olympics and everything else where? She was from Michigan, wasn't she? And she literally had nothing. I think yeah, she lived yeah. with her grandmother. And uh, there was a famous picture ahead of the first Olympic Games. Oh, it was London, wasn't it? It was yeah, ahead London, of London. Yeah. There was a famous picture of Clarissa sitting in her bedroom. I think Sports Illustrated or ESPN, one of those big magazines in America, went to her house. she just qualified for the Olympics. She was like 17 or whatever she was. She was a baby. And they took a picture of her sitting in her bedroom looking at an Olympic magazine or holding an Olympic tracksuit. And she literally didn't have a duvet on her bed. She was literally living in poverty, like in yeah. squalor. It was unreal. When the um, was in the World Championships qualifying, um, obviously there's only a limited amount of countries that actually speak English. So the Americans we were quite close to, um, and she, she was telling us about where, like where she comes from, and she's she's quite um, if anyone she's quite like you know she's not quiet. She's quite extroverted, and she's. But she's very proud of where she comes from, regardless of how wow. of, of the city that she is. And she, you know, she she was telling us about it, and I was like, it really does sound awful. Yeah, I'd <laughs> um, seen in that documentary, she'd moved in with her coach, and she was living yeah, she lived with, with a coach, coach and her family stage. and everything else. Yeah, and I think she when the for the Rio Olympics, when the Irish trainer, I forget his name, got the job um, as the Team USA head coach. That she was really disappointed that her trainer wasn't going to be with her because I think he's always played a part yeah. in 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 her successes and in in, in so he, he, that was like cut off and she went and they had a big fall she had a big fallout with him originally but I think he made her a box, better boxer in, really? in my opinion yeah of course I think she Added was better well well better in in Rio than she was in London yeah. Um... That obviously fundamentally, that's what's wrong with American boxing. You know, I think people who follow boxing realize that once they stop putting funding into American Team USA boxing scene a few years ago, that's when it dried up. That's when we stopped seeing the likes of Delahoya and people like that, and, and the Mayweathers and the Roy Joneses and this succession of amazing Olympians that went on to become pro stars. It's because of a lack of funding. Flip that over to the UK, where the funding has been there throughout your amateur time with the amateurs and certainly now. That's the key, isn't it, Tash? That's why we're in a golden age of British boxing right now. That's why it's happening because the the funding that you benefited from and everyone around you benefited from, um, from sports lottery and everything else. That's why we're, that's why we're enjoying the success we are. Definitely. It's not, it's not, it's, it's not rocket science to know that if you pump money into, into it, that, that they're eventually going to get better. I remember, going into our first tournaments when we were just England and we didn't, you know, we shared a kit. We didn't have our own. It, it's it, people. Share it, the kit. We shared a kit. There oh was a, God. I think there was a small and a large and that was the only, so you just prayed that you weren't the last on on that day because <laughs> you'd be having everyone else's sweat. You just rang this, the top out and you'd put it on. Oh and that that's how we was. And, and like, we look back at it and laugh now, but that's how it was. And mm-hmm. we like, and when we used to go to tournaments, it was like, England was the team that you wanted to draw because we was the easy draw. Yeah. Um, with the exception maybe of Nicky. Um, but then obviously we got the funding. We got we got um national status because we was an Olympic sport. And lo and behold, every single one of us qualified for the twenty twelve Olympics. And it's not that's not rocket science if you put money into us and you you know you take away a few stresses of you know going to work and you can now make this. A fully funded it was your job basically yeah um but you're a fully funded athlete you know you train as if you're, you're a professional then it was only right that we got the results and it, it proved in the olympics absolutely it in the qualification but it proved in the olympics as well of course um another fighter of course from this city that benefited from <laughs> from the support in those early days um certainly like Sir Paul King, who put, we made sure the city's young amateur boxers were there, were, were paid a wage in those early days. Never, obviously, went to a major international tournament. And looking back now, he probably made the right decision to turn pro when he did. But Tony Bellew, in terms of what's coming up next weekend with Hay, um, how do you look at Tony Bellew's career now, Tash? Where do you rank him in terms of Liverpool boxers? You know, when it comes to results, speak everything, speak everything. You know, he's 
he's he's got to be one of our most successful boxers. He's a he's a current world champion. So, you, you I think that for the first hay hey meeting, I was a bit worried if I'm honest about because I was thinking you know, style wise, I thought the odds stacked with hay. Yeah. Um, and then we had that fight, and he won. <laughs> and I think I think it was a shock to to Hay that how tough a fighter he actually is. And you know we talk about the 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 bomber as he is. I've always known him throughout his amateur career. No one believes in himself more than he does. And you know he proved everyone right on that day, or and he proved some people wrong. So, and I think. I think this time I'm prob- probably more confident in his ability to beat him than I was ever before. Yeah. What was he like? What was it like training alongside Tony at the Rotunda? We kind of was, we was a little bit of passion chips because he was still a, an elite boxer at that time. Um, and I was still just coming up through through the ABA ranks and trying to win ABAs and still trying to get on England. Um, but, you know, we'd go to shows and like, We'd weigh in and you know everyone would weigh in. Everyone would be like, "Oh, which is my opponent, me? Which is my opponent? Which is..." My... And he'd be like, "If that's my opponent, I'm telling you now, I'm gonna knock him out. I'm gonna knock him out. You are getting it." And he used to, and he'd won before he'd even got in. He'd half the time, you know, his opponent had lost, had lost it. Yeah. And you could see that, and you know, it was it was funny to what it was funny at the time to watch. Do you think on his journey? You know, and you can't argue with the journey he's been on because you know the success that he's had, the moments that he've had. I go to some park. I beaten David Hay, a, a former cruiserweight undisputed champion, heavyweight champion of the world. And the fact that you know he's now made enough money that, unlike most boxers in this game, um, there's only the top one percent that make the kind of money that that Tony's making or Tony's made. Do you accept the fact that maybe he's had to sacrifice? Is a little bit of his personality, or maybe not sacrifice his personality, but obviously cause a little bit of, because you know him and I know him better, you know better than people potentially listen to this, and we know what he's like personally. We know he's the type of person he is, but he had to put that to one side and be something else to get to where he's he's gotten to. Do you accept that he's had to do that to go on that journey? Yeah, I've, I've spent the last couple of years trying to defend him <laughs> and just defending him to people, but. It, it it is it boxing is a, an entertainment sport we are um we are governed by you know sales and, and and people you know i think mayweather said it best once he said um um the 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 people pay to see me they'll pay to see me lose or they'll pay to see me win but either way they're paying and that's that's basically what the game's all about you know i think we had nasim ahmed before that and you know, Ben and Eubank, you, despite what it despite what it was, whether you liked them or whether you didn't, you you paid, and that's that's what we're governed by. That's what promoters want. You they want to see you with the the best sales. They want to see you sell out arenas, and and his talking done that for him. Whether you wanted to pay to see him lose or whether you wanted to pay to see him win and support him, you paid. So you're like, you know, when I when I look at you and your career and your personality. You're one of the most lovely people in the sport. <laughs> to get to where you need to be, to get to where, to the very top, to get to the biggest fights, to to match up with Katie Taylor, who's who's, who's obviously worshipped in Ireland already and everything else. In your mind, are you thinking, maybe I'm going to have to try and be a, the bad guy? Maybe I'm going to have to put a bit of a show on? I'm going to start calling her out? Is this in your, obviously not this, this stage, you're still on your own super featherweight journey, but to make the big fights, to make the big legacy fights, do you accept that you might have to go outside your comfort a little bit? I do. Um, but I just, I don't want to lose myself and be untrue to myself and that's just not me. And I don't think with women's boxing the way it is and the, I think people have already bought into it. And I, I don't know if I'll have to do that. Yeah, it doesn't need it. It doesn't need it. Some like it it may do. And I might I may be wrong. But for for me, I don't want to lose myself in that. And I don't I, I don't wanna I don't wanna be something I'm not. I'm not I'm not a nasty person, I'm not a horrible person. Yeah. I don't wanna start saying, Yeah, I wanna knock Katie Dale out and you know, kick her teeth in and I'm that's not me and, and I know that's not her either. So I wouldn't I wouldn't expect that from her either. So 
it's odd. It's odd. Because Actually, Bellu, is... Bellu was saying all this when he was 16. Was he? Yeah. He, he, no, he was saying, he, as you said, he was at, he was going to amateur tournaments and going, who have I got? He's getting knocked out. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's not changed. It's, it's always been the way he was around the boxing ring, I guess. Yeah, I think, you know, people become someone else in the boxing ring. I probably become someone else when I'm actually in the ring. But when you, you know, we are different people when we're, when we're in the ring to when we're out the ring because ultimately you want to win. So there's no more there's no more Mrs. Nice Tasha when I'm in the ring. Um, but when I'm out, as soon as the bell goes and it's at the end of the round or the end of the fight or whatever it is, I'm, I'm back to being myself. But you, you, you have to embody somebody else while you're in there. And I think some people just take that, they, they embody someone else a little bit earlier than others. Yeah. You've still got your, your hair then? You've still got your fighting hair? When oh, will that come out? It'll probably come out today. Will it? Yeah, yeah. It's getting a bit Come out of fight mode. (laughs) (laughs) You say, I was speaking to you uh, um, before the fight, you were saying that the baby knows now as well, doesn't she? When the braids, when the hair goes in, the baby knows mum's in fight mode. Mummy boxing, she says, mummy boxing, mummy boxing. So yeah, she knows. What's she been like with the belt? Oh, she's been possessive. (laughs) Don't let anyone touch it. No, that's mummy's. I said, I know, they just thought, that's mummy's. (laughs) 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 Okay, babe, they just want to look. Mummy, this yours. This yours. Brilliant. I love it. Plenty more belts to come, I'm sure, in the future. Thank you for coming in, Tash. Really appreciate it. Congratulations again. Amazing performance at the weekend. I'm loving this stage of your career now because it's competitive. It's good. You know, your fights are entertaining. It's exciting. And you're putting girls away. You're smoking people. That's the best thing about it. You're listening to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. Come back and catch us next week for the big Tony Bellew, David Hay part two countdown show. Going to have tons from you. I'm in London all, all next week. So follow us on social media as well, at Fight Disciples. And for any of our back catalogue, any of our shows that we've done already this year, don't forget this is award-winning stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Visit fightdisciples.com. I'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.